Ciao and hello, welcome to a new episode of Young, Wild and Green, a podcast on how you can live more sustainably, created for you by Stay With Me, made by millennials for everyone. Under the motto A Little Goes a Long Way, we will explore what sustainability means and how we can begin our personal journey towards a conscious and greener life by having interesting discussions on these topics with our guests. We want to help you figure out from where to start, define what sustainable choices mean and how to prioritize them. So brighten up your green side and let's dive in. Today we're very excited to have Professor Dr. Felix Stalder as our guest. Dr. Stalder is Professor of Digital Culture and Theories of Networking at Zürich University of the Arts and a member of the World Information Institute in Vienna. And a long-standing moderator of NetTime, an international newsletter for network criticism. His main areas of expertise are the interrelationship between society, culture and technologies. But he's also researching on digitality, copyright, commons, privacy, control, society and subjectivity. Felix Steider is yeah, someone with a very diverse background, so I'm very excited for having you here today. Um, so as the first question, actually, um, I, I would just be interested whether, yeah, and how often you order online or whether you order online at all. Yeah, I mean, like everyone, uh, the pandemic and the lockdowns have been uh, accelerator for something that has already started that is you know ordering stuff online i don't order that much online because i live in the city center so i have lots of shops um, around me but of course during the lockdown um, many were closed so you know during that time there was no other way of getting stuff other than ordering it i mean my mainly what i order are electronics that are maybe too specific to find them in store uh, i order that comes with kind of uh, my profession a lot of books but i realized that my local bookstore has a really good ordering facility so i order it online through the bookstore and then I go there and pick it up and that's almost as quick as Amazon or others because booksellers traditionally have a very good delivery system from the central storage to the, the bookstore and by now most of the independent bookstores have a shared ordering platform so if you look at uh, your bookstore, you will see that you can order almost any book uh, delivered to the store. And that's usually then also quite nice to pick it up. And often I order one online and I go and pick it up and I buy a second one just because I happen across it. So I don't really order too much food because I don't mind cooking uh of course i order occasionally clothes and stuff like that but generally i try to avoid ordering too much simply because the whole kind of ecosystem of 
online delivery is really problematic and ambivalent. It's uh, on the one hand really great because if you look for something that's very specific, that you know is too the market is too small for your local shops to carry it, then it's great that you can find it. But the whole setup is really problematic, kind of from political, from you know economic, and also ecological reasons. I mean, I think we all agree on this aspect. Um, before delving into the big problems of the online society and especially online consumerism, would you say from your um, let's say educated guess, how has the COVID pandemic really changed online? consumerism to that regard? Yeah, I, I think it changed it quite significantly. Um, it kind of made it normal. And a lot of people who had maybe not bothered or had not lots of experience, uh, you know, got, you know, were forced to adopt it. And you can see that really in in the numbers, for example, uh, the German online closed store, Zalando, uh, the sales grew by about 25%, which is quite dramatic uh, in 2020. And the profit almost doubled. For food delivery, uh, Lieferando had its sale uh, jump by 50% in 2020. And if you look at, you know, the biggest of them all, Amazon had a growth in sales in 2020 of 33%. So you can see they, you know, the big ones all expanded massively. And, you know, similar stories you have with streaming services, different similar stories you have with uh, online video conferencing. So a lot of things moved online during the pandemic and um, obviously it's not that these services didn't grow before Amazon for example grew before so in the year uh, 2019 um, so the year before the pandemic it grew by 11 percent and during the pandemic it kind of tripled its growth it's a massive accelerator for a movement that has already you know started um, and I think what the pandemic did in terms of this, this online consumerism, it moved along a trajectory in one year that without the pandemic maybe would have taken five years. So it's a massive accelerator on the one hand. On the other hand, a lot of people had a lot of time while, you know, for quite a few people, obviously the pandemic was a time of also great economic insecurity. Uh, there were quite a few people, you know, with steady jobs that had a lot of time and still had money. So they, you know, were bored or anxious or, you know, all the reasons that you go on, on shopping besides that you actually really need something. Uh, so there's a kind of a double expansion of online shopping, both because you had to do it, on the other hand, because people had time and were bored and it's so easy and convenient um, to shop 24-7 uh, whenever you have an idea that you, know, you, you need something. So I think that's another um, element of this online consumerism. In a way, it's not surprising. Um, this is kind of capitalism tries to make it make consumption as easy and 
as seamless as possible and you can really see that working so people are buying more stuff because it's so easy to buy stuff yeah i um as you spoke yeah about time i think that's a very very interesting point in consumption that we maybe often disregard so i'm wondering i guess Yeah, because one question of mine that I wanted to ask you is what the role of delivery is in our society. And I guess this also links to, to what you just said, that maybe one answer to that question could actually maybe be that it also is a way of entertainment, maybe, so that we, when we're bored and have nothing to do, we just spend our time to look for the next cool pair of shoes or whatever and then we buy things we may not actually need but that are advertised and so we feel like we need to have those pair of shoes for instance. I think that this could be linked to also the fact that um, a lot of societies in the west although there's a gap that increases the middle income group But I think in general, the trend is that societies are becoming more wealthy, so they also consume more. This would just be one, one question of mine, whether you would agree with these thoughts or how you see the role of delivery and online consumption in our society right now. So why do people actually buy online, you know? There are several uh, elements in that. One is in a kind of consumer society full of artificial desires consumption is really a, a way of dealing with your moods there's obviously a, an element of need that you need to you know have a pair of shoes and and you need to have something to eat and all of that but a lot of time consumption is really about about how it makes you feel and that has been like this for a long time but now we live in this fully um, saturated kind of commercial environment. If you go online, there's almost nothing that has not deep commercial kind of streak to it. If you look at all the influencers, if you look at you know Instagram, if you look at uh, you know YouTube, and it's not just the advertisement that's just everywhere. That that's kind of the most obvious part. But it's also this this notion of you know what is a desirable lifestyle? How do you have to behave to be part of whatever group you imagine yourself to be? And this is kind of a, a, a 24-7 environment in which you're in. It's not that you say that you go to the mall and you know, meet your friends and then you're at the mall and then you leave again. You're kind of in the mall all the time. These transitions from seeing someone that you perhaps admire because you know, they make cool music or otherwise desirable people, you know, wearing a certain pair of shoes and then click, 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 buying that uh, pair of shoes is really, really a small step. And the entire experience is created to make this step as small as possible so that you're immediately on impulse triggered by, oh my God, these other people are so cool. I have to, you know, I want to keep up. And, you know, why is my life so boring uh, and I want to be like them or, you know, all of these kind of things. It's really everything is, is designed to get you to buy uh, impulse. That, that's kind of one part. And the, the other part is everything is designed to make a maximum distance between the image of the thing you buy. And this includes also food and the reality of its production and its delivery. 
with the pandemic, the delivery services created this thing called contactless delivery, right? So kind of the way this was, was sold was, you know, we, we are super responsible and we, you know, want to take care of our delivery workers. So uh, no risk for you. So you won't even see the delivery worker. I think that is very much in favor of these platforms that really would like the delivery person to disappear and you know to not have this moment of this meeting of really two classes the people who order things and the people who bring things this is increasingly these these two groups live in different worlds one is ultra precarious minimum wage super stressful uh, type of work and the other obviously is this imagination even if it's not if it's not true if it's in lots of cases because also people who order stuff are under stress but it's this imagine this 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 kind of imagination of a leisure class right suddenly somebody brings something to you it's your personal service so to speak you know having personal servants used to be kind of a real upper class kind of status symbol and now we can all have that, right? Even if it's only temporary, but uh, it also means that the, the, the distance in terms of wages and living conditions of these two groups has to be enormous. Otherwise, it doesn't work e economically. And the third kind of distance is, is, that is being created is, is obviously a, an ecological distance. Right. You have no idea under which conditions these things are, are produced, whether these are produced you know, with child labor in Bangladesh and you know, how it comes to you, whether this is you know, uh, brought by a, a diesel truck and, and, and all of these kind of things. So it allows to create enormous uh, you know, social costs and ecological costs but hide them behind a, a kind of a really glossy, advertisement-driven fantasy world of happy people consuming, you know, interesting stuff. Um, maybe one follow-up question directly to this point of, on the one hand, almost like how you described it, like almost this feudalist society with, on the one hand, the ones ordering, and on the other hand, the ones delivering. I mean, all orders take place digitally and online. And you are a professor of, at University of the Arts. And I wonder how maybe even aesthetics play a role in this because you almost order in front of a curtain. So you don't see what is happening behind the smartphone. You don't really see the system that is in place. You don't really see the sweat that is sweated by all the poor cyclists that have to do 10 deliveries per 10 minutes so i wonder how the the aspect of the digital and doing this all online has a key role in this i think it helps to create this distance it helps to create this illusion and it's not just an illusion, it's, it's, you know, a practice of the world at your fingertips, right? Who wouldn't want that? I can have this magic apparatus, I can, you know, tap on it, and out of nowhere, 
something materializes, right? It's almost like a magic lamp. Something you know, materializes out of nowhere. And there's a lot of work involved to make sure that this appears like it's out of nowhere. Right? It's very hard to uh, go and visit Amazon warehouse. You will never get inside. They're really cagey about people you know, talking to their workers and all of that. And they constantly talk about how they automate everything and soon you will have drones bringing the, uh, the package to you. So, you know, the workers are really just basically replaceable spare parts. You, you, you see that also in, in the way that these companies are organized. They are organized for massive staff ter- turnovers. Like the, the time that a courier for a deli- food deliveries company is working is is on average a few weeks, right? They don't stay very long, the, most of them. There are a few that stay longer, but most, you know, go in and out and change all the time. And it doesn't mean that they necessarily, you know, from the, uh, from the worker's point of view, that they only work for three weeks, but they work at this company for three weeks. Then maybe they find a better thing for two weeks somewhere else, and then they go back to the first one. But these companies are, are built for massive staff turnover. That means that they really can treat the people as disposable spare parts, almost like the disks in a, in a data center that you can hot swap, right? You can take it in and out without having to um, turn off the computer, which kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy why invest in anyone if you know they're only three weeks there and you know why why have any expectations towards your company if you're already on the move out again so this creates a really problematic kind of working environment and the technology that gives the rider in this in this case or, or the packaging worker at amazon very very precise orders go there do this you know left turn right turn uh, you don't even need to know the city where you're in. It makes these really kind of already semi-robotic until the day that you can actually automate them away, which I don't think is any more any is actually near because a lot of this automation is actually difficult to do that we see with the self-driving cars that are being postponed. But um, they're already already treated as if they were placeable uh, machine parts. Yeah, it's interesting because. We are already becoming more and more closely entangled with technology. So like we have our smartphones on our hands almost or like many people all day long, you know, so it's like technology is very close to us. And at the same time, some people in our society uh, become almost technology. So they're very replaceable and not really visible. Like what you said with they're the, the people that order something and then the people that bring something but you cannot really yeah the companies try to to avoid this close contact with people almost uh, to make it seem like it's just coming out of nowhere to have this effect that something surprising maybe also and we already touched upon the fact that working conditions for people that work at such delivery companies are quite precarious but i'm also wondering whether you would find any other people or companies or uh, of society that you would say could not catch up with the change uh, in this acceleration of delivery so that are maybe that have lost 
something due to this rise of the acceleration. Do you have any opinion on that, on who who are kind of the groups of people who lost, besides the workers, maybe? I think there are kind of retail and and restaurants were traditionally two businesses with very slim margins. So if you have a small tr shop or you run the average successful restaurant, you're not going to make very much money because the margins are really slim and there's lots of competition. So for them, it's kind of a double difficulty during Corona. Uh, one is that, you know, they lost income. So they were already financially precarious and they, they lost income. And some of the attitudes and the expectations have shifted during that time. So I think for those people and businesses, it will be really, really difficult. I don't think that, you know, restaurants in general will disappear because there's a strong kind of social uh, demand for it. But I think the kind of those that were already struggling, they might not survive. The fact that, that we have, for example, in the food business or in, 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 in restaurants now delivery, you could say, okay, this might expand their business opportunities because now people who will sit at home uh, who would not go out but, but now can order. But I think that's also a very tenuous uh, proposition for uh, a lot of reasons. The one is that these delivery platforms are quite expensive from the point of view of the restaurant. So they take maybe a 30% cut, which is in a low margin business quite a lot, even if you can maybe sell something with some, to someone without having to pay for their table. And what you see is that increasingly these delivery services are starting to run their own stores and their own restaurants. But not in the sense of opening up a restaurant, but opening up what is called either a ghost store or a ghost kitchen. A ghost kitchen is a kitchen that only works for delivery. That doesn't have any uh, restaurant attached to it in a normal sense, but it's really just somewhere a sweatshop cranking out meals. And the same is with ghost stores. If you have really, you know, same-day delivery and sometimes delivery rates times within a few hours if you order fresh produce and, you know, milk and stuff like that. What they do is they buy up empty stores and turn them into, you know, what is called ghost stores, kind of mini warehouses. So they have perhaps in every neighborhood one of those mini warehouses, which is like a supermarket, but you cannot go in, which means they can. Um, put in much more shelves, uh, having a higher density per square meter, you know, do not pay for, you know, all the stuff that you have in a, in a normal supermarket, but you turn the, the streets where the restaurant used to be and where the shop used to be in ghosts, kind of in ghost streets, because you don't have any sign of life on a street level anymore. This I obviously allows them then to go into really direct and very strong competition with the existing infrastructure. And if you look at the, the number of, of companies that are capable of doing that, then you, you see this is enormous uh, process of concentration. We already have 
with the traditional supermarkets, very strong processes of concentrations. We have very few, very large supermarket uh, chains that can dictate the prices to the producers and you know to the farmers and dictate certain really unhealthy and unecological and unsustainable production methods in, in food production. And this is kind of accelerating this trend of having a very concentrated kind of platforms that dominate entire markets. And then obviously they can uh, you know, work with economies of scale and put in really hard price competition against uh, existing companies and existing stores and restaurants and, and all of that. And you can already see that, you know, if you are a, co- a delivery company and you control the platform, the app through which you order, and you have a number of, you know, your own ghost kitchens, and restaurants like like you have now, then the incentive of tweaking the platform to get people to buy at the ghost kitchen that you control as uh, is very strong. And we know that they can do it and we know that they do it. I mean, we have in a kind of a similar situation, uh, the EU is is, uh, or has fined Google for using, you know, for promoting its own services through Google search. And that's kind of something similar. And for the user who has this very nice app and, you know, sees, you know, a happy Vietnamese chef kind of representing the restaurant, there's no way of telling if it's a real restaurant or a ghost kitchen. That's just almost impossible. Or it takes a lot of a lot of research that you, you don't do when you you know at home and you want to to quickly order something and that's that's the the first choice comes up looks reasonably good and so you take it i mean yeah i am from kind of a small town in in germany and i remember that when i was young so or i still lived there 10 15 years ago the towns were still full of life so there was shops where people could go either a shoemaker or a person would fix your you know broken jeans and all these type of things were kind of still full of life but nowadays um, especially with the digitalization I think there it's important to also emphasize that there is a big big difference between the urban and the rural so in the cities and you just said that you live in a city center, you might, although, yeah, also their space is precarious and these ghost kitchens take away spaces, but it's not like the city is becoming colorless and empty, whereas on the countryside, which is a bit more of a extreme example, there, I don't know, the, the towns are not towns anymore. It's There's also like a massive shift due to these kind of digital enterprises that are now in the non-spaces of our society. Yeah, these shifts have started much earlier with um, you know, the rise of these shopping malls uh, at the, in the industrial zones and the outskirts of cities so that you know, people would you know, drive there and then buy everything they needed there. And the, the city centers, also the centers of smaller towns and villages, uh, the stores there just couldn't compete with the ones at the outskirts. And you know, they had better parking and you know, 
facilities for the kids to play so you could you know leave your kids somewhere while you, while you go shopping and and all of these kinds of things so these shifts have been going on for a while and i think that uh, what we're talking about now is in a way a next phase of that where the production and distribution of goods becomes so optimized that it has no kind of all other benefits that you have of a store in a, in a city center uh, are gone. Right? When, you have, when you have stores and city centers, you have a lot of other benefits that people meet there and talk to each other. And, and you know, there's a public square and maybe there's, you know, somebody, uh, you know, doing street art there or you have, you know, Saturday afternoon uh, play for, for the kids or, or what. And that is kind of created or supported by all the businesses and the shops that in the, are in the city centers and that people go to. But obviously it's also slightly inconvenient for these shops because yeah, now there's demonstration outside and that maybe costs them uh, because people then cannot go in or all of that. But but it, it had a lot of, kind of was embedded in a, in a more complex society. And what you have now is you have a, let's say, you know, somewhere a distribution center of Amazon or anywhere, anywhere, anyone else. And there's no added benefits for nothing, right? It's optimized for maximum speed of delivery. It's optimized for, you know, maximum profitability and, you know, maximum uh, competitive advantage and all the rest disappears. And that I think is a real difficulty. And then we haven't really even started to talk about the ecological dimension of all of it. There have been a, a lot of studies that try to compare kind of online shopping with traditional shopping. And it's obviously quite uh, difficult because what exactly is traditional shopping? And many of these studies have done it, were done in the in the US. So they figured you would drive with a car to the supermarket, go there, buy your three products, and and go and and leave again. And if that is the normal uh, situation, then online delivery can be actually better in terms of the um, mileage that is needed to drive around for this last mile delivery. But, um, you know, obviously if you don't drive 20 miles with your car in order to get to the supermarket at the, at the edge of town, uh, then the situation looks quite different. Also, what is quite, what makes a huge difference is the speed of delivery. If you have, let's say, something like Amazon Prime that says, you know, next day delivery, one day delivery, two day delivery, it means that they have, they have no time to kind of group uh, the delivery into an efficient package. So, because speed is so important you have many more cars driving half empty because they cannot wait until the car is full. And, and then you can uh, distribute all the packages in one neighborhood. 
that would maybe slow it down a day or two. But if you have these super fast deliveries, they will have to drive the moment you know, your package is ready or very few packages are ready. So for the driver, it means longer driving and uh, it, it means you know, the number of, of uh, drives per delivery uh, increases. Also because if you buy several things and you buy them on fast delivery, the shop doesn't have time to group them into one package. So they will send you three packages. And these three packages, maybe one is ready right away, the other one is ready tomorrow, so they don't wait but send, send them uh, separately. So this is probably the easiest from the question of what can you do individually. The absolute easiest is to buy less, right? To resist this, this urge to buy something to feel better, to really wonder whether you need something and maybe just give yourself a rule of when you want to buy something, wait 24 hours and see if you still want to buy it. So it's so simple stuff. But beyond that, um, the single most uh, effective thing you can do in terms of, of ecologically, e ecological uh, sustainability and the, and the footprint you create is don't use fast delivery. You know, allow for slow delivery that allows for much more efficient logistics, both for your individual packages, but also how the different packages are grouped together. But of course, the, the incentive that the companies give you, because they want this instant gratification feeling, is to uh, give you fast delivery. You know, Amazon Prime, the default is kind of the fastest possible delivery. And that is, is, is incredibly inefficient. So you need a lot of poorly paid, poorly treated workers doing very inefficient work. And that can only be economically sustainable if the workers are paid poorly and if the ecological costs are not factored in. I think if you would add you know, really hefty CO2 pricing, then these things would not, not work anymore. Would that be one thing that you would recommend from your perspective, that we should in the future factor in the CO2 cost, or at least maybe um, it would be an idea for companies to offer to consumers that they can see, uh, compare CO2 emissions right at the point of like buying decision, kind of? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I mean... Mm -hmm. um, This, the, the one thing is, is this uh, how you or each consumer, each person behaves individually. And that would be my recommendation, unless it's really, really necessary, don't do fast delivery. Don't do next day delivery. The second would be more uh, kind of a demand in terms of the you know, design of, of these services. You know, if you had uh, an option to choose between fast delivery and green delivery, right? Now you have a, have a choice between fast and slow. And if you have a choice between fast and slow and they seem equivalent, maybe both are free, 
if you yeah Amazon Prime, then why on earth would you choose slow? Right? But if you have between you know fast and green, then maybe you, you, you see the difference. Yes, slow is also somehow for me at least a negative connotation. The word even slow usually at least that's for me, I don't have a positive connotation to the word slow. I feel fast is something that I find more kind of attractive, yeah. even in just speaking for the literal sense and for the word. But yeah, as you said, just in general, give consumers an option whether yeah, to choose between fast and green, let's say. <laughs> I like this term would be a good idea. And I think that's something very like a constructive criticism that we can maybe give here. And I'm wondering because we always ask a little bit off topic almost, and we all always ask each guest what kind of personal sustainability hack, kind of so like a practical tip from daily life, that's what we mean by hack, or a thought uh, related to sustainability and the topic that we ha are focusing on today, which is delivery. Yeah, would you give to people? So, I mean, you already talked about don't uh, buy the the fast option and choose slow delivery but is there anything else it could also just be an interesting thought or something more practical that you would recommend for people to implement in their daily life i mean it's more practical as is because i live in a city but i you know when i buy food i often try to pick it up myself And that gets you to really have a look where these things are located. And there is often one, I mean, in, my, in, in, in a city case, that's quite, quite close and one that is 30 blocks further. And on the interface, you don't really see the difference. There's no real telling whether the one that's further will actually take longer because, you know, maybe the cook is faster or... So, so it's not really something that you can tell by by the time they predict it will come, right? And that time that they predict, you, you know, it, it can be accurate, it can be off. But to really try to understand that, you know, behind this virtual screen, there's really a physical infrastructure. And in a physical world, distance matters. So try to see where the things are that you buy from. And, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one who bought something and then only after buying it realized, oh, my God, this is now being shipped from China. Right. It looked like a whatever European store, but it's actually just a storefront from from China. Okay, that won't happen with your food. But I, I think with the food, it's it's the most obvious that you can actually look where where the places are located. Would you say that? as you talked about now, to, to try to find where things are located that you want to buy. Do you actually know, and can we actually even say this, that it's always better to pick up the things you want to have or buy or consume in stores or to have it delivered to your house? So I guess, I mean, this probably, I would assume that this also always depends on the distance. So Obviously, when you order something from China, then it's, yeah, it has more CO2 emissions than when you order it from, pick it up at a store here in Berlin or whatever. But is this always the case 
could it also be that sometimes online delivery could save CO2 emissions? Or is it always worse to order online? I don't think it's always worse. I mean, the, one of the great things that, that these new infrastructures can do Uh, is the exact opposite of we talked of what we talked about, right? We talked about now how they create this this maximum distance between the consumer and the process of production. That you don't know where it's produced, how it comes to you, it just magically appears out of nowhere. But it actually there are lots of initiatives that try to create a real transparency, and it offers you know local producers chance to sell directly to local consumers right so you have uh, uh, farmers usually you know working uh, biologically that sell directly to consumers that have maybe um, a few stores with with whom they're partners or so when you buy something online it will be delivered to that store and then you can pick it up there or it will be sent to you uh, directly but you have a, a real idea where it comes from right and this is again the, the point i made before it's really important that you try to understand where these things come from because this this ideology of things appearing out of nowhere is really problematic on Yeah, almost all levels you can imagine, politically, economically, ecologically. But it allow but you know, these these new platforms really allow you also to have a much more direct relation to the places where it's produced. Because also when you pick it up in a store, we, we all know that when you go to a big supermarket, there are you know 20 different types of apples and you really have to read the fine print to realize which one are shipped from Chile or New Zealand and which one are you know grown locally. They, they look the same, they cost the same. If you're, if you're not really uh, into reading the labels, you might as well pick the one from, from Chile. This idea of uh, hiding all this complexity and hiding all this effort is not just something that exists uh, in online shops and online delivery. It also exists, obviously, in um, in real supermarkets. But it's it's heightened and even more hidden in online services. I guess um, that's actually one aspect that our organization focuses on quite a lot. We try to think about sustainability a bit from a systems thinking perspective so that to kind of examine whether personal decisions sometimes can have a bigger impact on maybe structures, maybe in the political dimension or social dimension. Now that you've touched upon this, I wonder whether you personally would say that personal choices can have an impact on the global system or not? Or do you have a different opinion that personal choices don't really matter because there's like structural barriers or something? I, I think both. Personal choices matter and there are very real structural barriers. But maybe being cognizant of your personal choices makes you also cognizant of these structural barriers, the, the limits of your personal choice. And, um, and then, you know, move from the personal choice to a more collective, more structural engagement. 
I, I don't think these are mutually exclusive. And I think, you know, trying to think through how your own life is implicated in kind of the unsustainability of, of our society is important. But this is not a question that you can solve by personal virtuousness. It's not, it's not enough. You cannot be aware of all the problems that you encounter because the entire system is organized to make you not aware of it, right? We, 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 we can become really cognizant about, uh, you know, how these online delivery things work, but then also to become cognizant how food production works and how clothes production works. This is almost impossible because it's hidden and there's a lot of effort being put into you know, hiding the true costs and the actual structures behind it. I think it's really important to move from kind of individual action towards more structural, more political action. I mean, putting a, a price on CO2 would make a massive difference for this apple to be shipped from China versus uh, from Chile versus the apple being shipped from, you know, the surrounding countryside without having, you know, putting all this cognitive overload onto the individual person that has to think with each and everything that, that, you know, one does, you know, all the implications. That's, I think, in the long run, it's, it's too limited and it leads to very also, you know, problematic politics where you start to blame other people, you know, for not being sufficiently enlightened in their life choices mm. when they maybe have other things to do than you know to worry about you know these these complexities that you know we have the time to worry about and i think it's important that people worry about them it's not i don't think this is frivolous but it's not something that you that scales to everyone all the time it needs to be kind of built baked into the system that it works correctly rather than having everyone to kind of correct it and work against it each and every step they take. Completely agree. I think it was a yeah, a very insightful answer, especially um, with regards to the complexity of the system and how one is not able to, I don't know, see everything in it and all the components of it because also a system is sometimes endless you can start thinking about an effect uh, and cause an effect and it can have another effect and another effect. So yeah. there is also, you know, very hard to make a stop. But going from kind of this, let's say, contemporary analysis more into the outlook or the future, there is maybe also it's because we're slowly coming to the end of the podcast episode, it might be very interesting to have your opinion on whether this whole digital shift and the whole um, acceleration of delivery, whether it is something that will further accelerate in the future or whether you think of something like a rebound effect so that there's a back to the old way of how it was done pre-internet or pre-delivery? I don't expect a large rebound effect. And to the degree that it is one, 
it will be a kind of a, a lifestyle choice boutique rebound effect, like farmers markets in cities, right? I personally like to go to them, but this is really a niche boutique way of organizing food that is that would not scale to the you know necessary numbers to you know for everyone. So I I think we really have to think how we make sustainability built this into these new infrastructures because there's a reason why they're there. You know they allow us to deal with the complexity with the speed that is just part of everyday life. So I don't think you know going back is any option. I mean, at least I think that the political costs of going back would be enormous. This would really only work kind of as a, you know, let's say a reactionary fantasy imposed from above. And that I think is, is, has nothing desirable. How can we perhaps use the complexity of, of this of these infrastructures that we have? I mean, in a way, what we have now is everything is reduced to price. Right? I, I go to Amazon and I see 10 things uh, that look more or less the same, but the difference is the price. But you know, we have the, the possibility. I, it could easily be attached to everything also uh, you know, a CO2 label, as we have food labels, as we have other types of, of labels. That they, you know, a bit like what we talked before, the difference between a fast and a green delivery. And you have to build that into the infrastructure of things, um, how things are made. As long as it's worth to buy uh, fish off the coast of Scotland, then ship everything to China to, to be you know, cut into fillets and then ship them back to Europe to sell them, that cannot be sustainable. That just is something that should not be economic. Maybe in the future, technology will also, while it right now has maybe led to, in part, unsustainable trends, it can also help us in the future to determine how things can be organized efficient in terms of sustainability, so how we can save as much CO2 emissions as possible and things like that. And I would like to go uh, back to one topic we covered more at the beginning of the podcast uh, I would like to know whether you think that the working conditions in the sector of delivery so especially the the people that bring you the food uh, whether you think that this will become a better regulated area in the coming years or whether it will be worse and what can we do to um, support the development of giving people or the workforce in the delivery sector better Yeah, standing, let's say, or more income, besides maybe a tip. Yeah, I mean, the, the immediate um, individual advice is, you know, give tips to your delivery worker. Um, but obviously that is not enough and that should not be, you know, people should not be uh, entirely dependent on the kindness of strangers. But I think this is a, a very classic uh, area of regulation you can uh, have something like a minimum wage, you can have something like a minimum or a maximum flexibility to contracts, 
that you cannot say um, that's more, more in the US, not so much in Germany, these so-called zero-hour contracts. So you are on contract, but you have no guaranteed times and they can call you up whenever they want. This is kind of how Uber and, and you know, these gig workers uh, work, even though, I mean, you're technically not even on contract. And these are things that are, in a way, classic uh, labor relations regulations, that, that similar things were done in the beginning of the industrialization, and uh, we found ways to deal with that. At the moment, you have you know, something like a minimum wage and a CO2 pricing, certain modes of operation will simply become uneconomical, right? And I think we should really strive towards that. Unionization of these kinds of works, mandatory minimum wage and CO2 pricing. And then certain things will take care of themselves because costs of doing that kind of business will then become part of the business rather than offloaded to society at large. I think, yeah, you gave very insightful and practical things that we can all implement in our daily life. So I'm very yeah, happy about that and thankful. Um, and as a last question, I always ask um, the, the following question, which is if you could change one thing right now to make a step towards sustainability, it can be small or big, structural or material, what would it be? So this can be also more of a it could be a very practical answer but it could also be a bit more abstract so it's like what kind of message do you think would you want to be out there about sustainability i think it's the the two things i i mentioned before you need both an ecological and a social sustainability you cannot have one without the other and uh, for the social one it's a uh, you know mandatory minimum wage And that should be fairly high. The other thing is really uh, at the costs of pollution. CO2 pricing would be one. Um, and make sure that those aspects where you cannot substitute easily, that you have social, you know, your means to make sure that this is not, doesn't hit proportionally or, or beyond the proportion lower income families and workers. I, I think there are, there are quite a few ideas around that, around you know, how to make an ecological and a social transition at the same time. And I think there's no, no way around that if you want to get to anything that is even mildly sustainable. So today we have covered a lot of topics um, with Felix Stalder. The topics we have covered have been the optimization of delivery services, workers as well as planet per se. Thank you for all the listeners who have shared their time with us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have questions regarding today's episode that you would like to ask or simply want to share your thoughts with us, then write us to stay w me.info at gmail.com or on Instagram where our username is staywme. We're also happy if you want to share any feedback with us regarding the show, be it positive or negative. 
We want to learn together with you. And our goal is to make sure that you're receiving the information in a way that is useful for you. Also, don't forget to give us a hopefully nice review on iTunes so that others can come along on our journey. We would like to say thank you to RDS Energies GmbH that supports the podcast financially. We wish you a great day and light up the green side of your mind. Ciao and tschüss.